Welcome to episode 72 of the Carrier's Edge podcast. I'm Jane Jazz Rowie. I am the co-founder and, yeah, I'm the co-founder of Carrier's Edge and... Uh, and other things too. And other things. I am, you know, everything to all. Chief cook and bottle washer and with me as always. Mark Morrell, chief dishwasher, plate washer and <laughs> sous chef. Yes. Welcome. Welcome, Mark. Well, thank you for having me, Jane. No problem. I'm very happy to be a guest on this oh, podcast. My pleasure. So what would you like to talk about today? Well, it's weird. I've done several broadcast type things this week where I've been the host and I've been welcoming guests. We did our monthly webinar. I did some recordings, um, recording sessions for the Best Fleets podcast. That's a, a video podcast. And I had guests on all of those. So I've been the one all week going, welcome to this podcast <laughs> and, and thanks for joining me. I don't even know why I said that. Maybe because I, I kind of felt cool. Yeah. Like, Did you like that? Well, it feels like there's less pressure on it now. You know, now I you've love, taken over as the host because I don't have to, I don't have to worry now. I love being the guest. I yeah. love being, it's such a vacation. You know, when I'm, when I'm sort of responsible for the content, it's way more pressure and you're like, okay, it's like, make sure everybody is okay. And everybody's going to say the right thing at the right time. And they're not freaked out. And and all that stuff and do I know what I'm going to say and is it going to roll off my tongue and probably not and but when somebody's asking you questions it's easy yeah. so I guess there's some pressure on you because you usually think of the topics and I've been thinking about completely different things up until right now mm-hmm. so you're gonna have to take my mind off the other things or I'm gonna start talking about them Okay. You don't want me to. Well, do if that. you are going to talk about them, that's going to happen whether or not I try to take your mind off it. So you will go where you want to go, regardless of what the question is. You will pivot to your own talking points. So I will throw some things out there and let's see. Let's see what we can do. Okay. Let's, you know, just for everybody listening, it's not like he tells me what we're going to talk about. He has it in his head, and sometimes I do what he thinks I'm going to do, and sometimes I don't. But I really don't have any clue beforehand. Well, usually I have some clue beforehand of what we're going to talk about. I have a rough set of topics, and it might just be three sort of broad areas, or or it might be three specific things. But I don't tell you what they are. No, because when I tell you what they are, you immediately start thinking about them and start talking about it. And I have to say, wait, save it for the podcast. But then even at that point, it's spoiled. You know, it's like as soon as it's mentioned, all of the ideas come through and all of your sort of fresh thinking happens. And if I go back to it later, it's like a retread and it just doesn't work. I feel like I'm like some sort of doll where you can push a button, but only the first push is good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it's good that you feel that way because that's how it is already then and today is a little bit different because i really don't have that much i know at some point i had some ideas of what i wanted to talk about but now they've left me so this is going to be an interesting episode we will see where we go with this one so i think what we will do is uh let's talk about first i just have to get this out of the way finally after a year plus of development and me mentioning it on several episodes of the podcast. Finally, our dash cam integration function is done. (sighs) No, see, even that I have to retract that. 
our dash cam integration function is announced. <laughs> Don't say that. Well, it's one of those things that won't ever really be done. So yeah, we've got that's the true. we've got it publicly available. We've got the first two camera providers uh, that are supported, but there's process that needs to be completed for anybody who wants to set it up. So it's not quite finished. It's not like it's like some of our other features where we just flip the switch and it's there for everybody. These ones, because we're pulling data from foreign systems, we need each carrier's individual permission to get their data from that system. So there's a little bit of workflow that has to happen there. But as far as the coding side of it goes, it is live. It's in production. Yeah. So that is big news uh, for us. First two camera providers, the next two, we're starting to get the spec ready on those. So the first two are Lytics and, and Velocitor, and yeah. the next two are, are going to be Netrodyne and Keep Tracking. Right. Yeah. All right. That's good. So it's an accomplishment. It is. And already I've been asked by like three people, do you have Isaac? Do you have the Isaac camera in there? And I'm like, oh. Well, we wanted to, but yes. they don't have an API, right? Yes. So, so yeah. And actually, I got asked that by Eugenia at Criska who is asking when will we have Isaac? And I said, we would love to if they have an API. And she said, well, let me know what we can do to help with that. Ask them for an API. And I said, well, <laughs> you're going to be at the TCA convention in Vegas. We'll be there and Isaac will certainly be there. So we can maybe go and badger them together. And she's all for that. So we were going to visit yeah. the Isaac booth. Yeah. Well, there it, it would be good for them. Well, having an API is a good idea for for yeah. a number of reasons. Now that we have one, I can get on my high horse about how everybody should have an API for integration. Well, we had a kludgy yeah. API. So just to back up, what is an API? Mark, what is an API? I feel like it's that uh, school board commercial on TV. <laughs> the importance of getting kids back to class. Mark, uh, good API. question, Chloe. <laughs> God, you do that way too well. So for anybody who isn't from Ontario, there's yeah. a there's a TV ad talking about kids going back to school and how it's much better to learn. And at the end, they have this teacher who has the worst voice, and that's what she sounds like. And yeah, that's her squawking chicken voice. Good question, Chloe. There's a lot Think. of people that are going to know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you what cytoplasm is. <laughs> but... We've seen that commercial so many times. Yes. API is an application programming interface, which is a set of instructions that allows people to pull data out of a system or put data into it. So basically allow people to interact with your system remotely. So we have one that allows people to do a lot of the basic function within our system. So anything that you can do when you log in as an administrator, you should be able to do programmatically from another system through the API. So it's a pretty standard way of interacting uh, these days. There are so many different systems that all need to talk to each other. So these uh, interfaces are the way to do that. And there's standardized ways of um, having them configured and having them built. So uh, we have a fairly standardized version uh, of an API right now. It's and like a, I think it's kind of like a port Almost. It's it's a communications device between... Yes, in the old days, it would be, uh, what ports do you have on the back? Yeah. And if you have a port is the right shape, then you can talk. You can plug in the right cable and talk to people. Yes, so... But the simplest, the simplest version of this is if 
we if if someone else is using a different learning management system and they wanted to run Carrier's Edge courses in that system, then we would be able to load and give the final test scores through an API from one system to the other. Yeah. So that's And in the world of dashcam integration, if we are going to have this function work the way it's designed, which is that we collect the events from these dash cams and we allow customers to configure assignments automatically from there, we need some way to be able to go into these systems and get events. And that's what the API does. The API allows us to go in there, look at what's happening or pull data for particular customers, particular users one way or another, and then act on it. So um, Lytics has an API, uh, Velocitor had one, uh, Netrodyne and Keep Trucking have APIs for their camera system, so we can work with those. And uh, hopefully, uh, Isaac gets one as well uh, fairly soon, and then we'll be able to start pulling events based on their cameras. So, after uh, a long time, it's finally announced, uh, it's finally out there, and uh, also exciting for me, and this is even more technical, so even a smaller audience of people who care. Uh, we <laughs> including have, me. <laughs> yeah, we have the first, uh, our first services in production in Kubernetes, which is something that we've been working on for a, a while as well, is to have all of these sort of individual microservices running in their own containers, but have them orchestrated through um, Kubernetes, which allows all of that stuff to be controlled and scaled and managed in a much more flexible and modern way. So, so uh, the, the translation for that is instead of a big box of servers, yeah, that you put every, like everything in your system is like in the imagine in the imaginary big box. So we have our, our course development system, our carrier's edge, the customer system, we have um, the dash cam system that's all housed in this one big thing. And modern modern development has started separating it into microservices so that if one goes down, the rest don't go down. They're all operated individually. So. Well, and also it's easier for deployments. It's way easier for testing. It's easier for scalability. I, I, I always picture them as like bubbles. Hmm. They're all bubbles, and then there's some sort of keyboard that controls them. So you hit a key, hit a D, and, you know, the batch, Kubernetes mm. thing, microservice does something, and you hit a G, and I know okay. it has nothing to do okay, with now that. now I want you to draw that, because that's a very cool visual. I'll have to get, I think that's a Rachel one. Or maybe I'll get Berenice to do it in 3D, 3D but yeah. Is that even remotely close? Um, it could be. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to visualize what you're talking about, but I think you're on the right track with that. So either way, well, I love the visual. you guys talk about a controller. Right. So there's some sort of controller that controls all of these different the microservices, services, yeah. right? And we yeah. have one microservice right now. Uh, no, we have two or three. Three. Okay. So the oh, so we you're announcing it like we only have one, but well, we've we already, had several. But they all got moved into Kubernetes this week. They were running outside of it before that. So we flipped the switch to have production Kubernetes uh, controlling all of those services. Okay. That I don't really get. Why? Okay. Uh, what were they doing outside? I thought Kubernetes was like the... That's they, the controller, right. That's the controller. They were just sitting on the application servers and oh. running on their own. 
Okay, so they were just, but now we, so, oh, I see. So they were like toys that are wind up and walking around the room, but now they're attached to a controller so you can press a button and they will walk walk when it, when you want them to. Yes. Okay. And the beauty of that service is that it's kind of self-managing. It will decide when it needs to add more power to it. It will sort of spin so them up, have, spin them down as necessary. So we kind of have a... Uh, Robot vacuum. Kind of. <laughs> we have a bunch of robot vacuums that will all be controlled based on schedule and or be able to make decisions about where to go in the room, what's dirty, what's not. Yep. On their own. Yep. So many metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> now that, yeah, I think we've kind of burned through our allotment of metaphors <laughs> for one episode. I Listen, it took me a really long time to kind of figure out what you were talking about when you started talking about Kubernetes, which starts with a K and in case anybody wants to Google Kubernetes, yeah. it's somebody's name. No, it's a Greek word for pilot. Oh, that's right. Or helmsman. It's, or I knew it was like a name. Thing. Yeah, pilot. That's mm. why it's the controller. Yes. So I'm. Mean, it took me a while because just so you all know, I have to piece together bits of information from things that Mark says and what the developers say. And I sort of try and keep the conversation going, and but it doesn't actually kind of coalesce in my head for a while. Okay, well, here's the, an analogy that will make sense to you. And I know we're well over our allotment of analogies. Okay, uh, but okay think, wait, let, let everybody just sort of cleanse your palate of analogies. Yes. Okay, no more analogies. So this is something that will be very familiar to anybody who's done classroom training on technology, done system training in a classroom. And so in my head, this is sort of taking us back to the late 90s when we were doing a lot of that kind of stuff. Every time you have a class come in, you need to basically reset all of those PCs to the basic level. So you need to re-image all of those PCs to that point right. where it's ready that you, the class can come in and do all of the changes that they would be doing as part of the training. And if you remember your time doing that stuff, that was a nightmare, yeah. right? You would have to go to 20 different PCs and yep. re-image them. And it was a pain, but it got you everything you needed and everything was sort of at a standardized place. That's what containerization is now, is the idea that all of this stuff is self-contained in one spot. And so it's not just about production servers, but it's also about development servers and testing and all of these things. You want it to work and be completely the same everywhere so that when somebody codes something, um, they hand it over and uh, QA has the exact same um, configuration that they can use. And um, then in production, it's exactly the same as well, which up until recently wasn't the case. Developers machine would do it one way and then QA would be set up a different way and production is a whole other thing. So containerization or the concept of containerization is basically the same as those old days where you're re-imaging everything. Every time you spin it up, it looks exactly the same, resets it to the beginning and gives you everything that you want. Um, to begin that class. And a controller like Kubernetes is basically automating that and saying, in that case, you would say, I've got a class coming in, I need, I've got 12 people in the class, and it would automatically image 12 machines and have them ready for you. And the next week you have a class coming in with 25 people, it automatically images 25 machines for you. So that's the value of that kind of containerization and controlling is that you don't have to manually do that work and you get consistency all the time and it's done pretty much simultaneously. So. 
Okay. Now you're looking more confused. Well, I guess the main idea is that it's not just imaging machines. It's whatever it is that you want any of right. these containers to do. So yes, it's setting up all your SAP master data or well, configuration files People or whatever. do not know what you mean by that. that That's isn't. my only experience is doing <laughs> so if I, training. So but one container would have our course development, our course authoring system in it. Yeah. So we can control that. And it would always be the same, always be deployed consistently. Right. Okay. Yes. And so if someone is testing on our course development, someone is testing a new feature on our course development system, they're going to be using a test version of the same. Yeah. Okay. So to summarize, it's better. <laughs> See what I mean about, you know, it's much trying good. to follow, follow along with yeah. what everybody's talking about. It's like, oh, brain hurting. Because, you know, then in the next half hour, I'm going to go back and go, okay, how do I rewrite this TDG course? <laughs> how do I change these vehicle inspection yeah. pages? Can we look at each of these specific regulations to, to, and determine if that applies to handling for transport as well as transporting? <laughs> well, let's do that here and do a, a sharp turn away from infrastructure and DevOps best practices <laughs> into HR. Oh my God. Because... I'd started talking about TDG. I was ready yeah, for that. I'm not letting you go down that road. Yeah, okay. Uh, but we did the webinar this week about HR and I was joined by Dirk Kupar from TruckRight and we talked about uh, sort of HR best practices and the sort of the state of HR in trucking, which still is almost non-existent. Uh, but the differences between an HR management system and an applicant tracking system and all of those kind of things. So uh, I thought afterwards that, uh, you know, you and I haven't talked about that much on this podcast and I haven't sort of got your thoughts on the state of HR in the trucking industry. I don't agree that it's non-existent. Well, HR exists. It exists whether you like it or not, but somebody with Officially. a role managing it still is very rudimentary. Still, most of the HR function in many companies falls to the safety people. Well, that's not true. There's a lot of companies who have HR, but the HR function is only for the office staff yes. and not for the drivers. And so you have this this different level of support where you have proper HR for, when I say proper HR, we can talk about that in a minute, proper HR for everybody you know who doesn't drive. And then this kind of you know, vague driver services rule. Yeah, loose kind of yeah. roughly covering it. And it's not going to be someone who's as qualified in HR running the driver services part. Not to say that driver services is not, you know, not valuable. And I think it's a really good idea. It's just that the concern is that the HR function that is very valuable is not being offered to drivers in the same way as it is to office staff. Were you listening in on that webinar? Because that was almost exactly what we said. But it's true. Like, I mean, I do Best Fleets interviews and talk to people about their HR. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I also have talked to HR people from different companies, and they don't know anything about drivers. That's the thing that I find really surprising. Every once in a while, we'll get an HR person on yeah. a Best Fleets interview, and sometimes they just don't know what happens for drivers. Or they have a lot of assumptions based on what they're doing with the office staff. And they kind of get corrected by the risk people or the driver service business people that are on that interview as well. It's like, no, we don't actually do that for drivers. And I find that very strange. I think it's because 
Actually, I don't know why. I don't know why that is, because if you're the HR person for a company, then you should know the difference between someone who is traveling and someone who is not. I have a theory on that. Oh. Which is, and you think about it, that function on the driver side of the business is often handled by somebody who is in safety or like a driver services person whose background is driving. And a lot of times it's somebody, same thing with the safety person. They're often a, a former driver. And it sort of grows organically as the fleet grows. They need somebody in the office who's doing hiring. And okay, if you're doing hiring, there's a lot of overlap between safety and HR there because they're checking qualifications, they're road right. testing them, doing all of those things and onboarding them. There's a lot about policies and here's how we do things, here's how we handle our equipment and all of that. So it's very technical. And bit by bit, those people take on more of the HR function because they're doing licensing, they're doing checking abstracts and, and setting up all of that stuff. And as the company grows, there's always more drivers than office staff. So as the company grows, they get a few more people in the office and a few more after that. And eventually they get to the point where it's like, oh, we need an HR person because we're getting questions about benefits. We're getting questions about vacation management and all of that. On the driver side, they don't really have the same thing because driver vacation is almost an afterthought a lot of the time. But they bring in an, an HR person for the office and then say, well, you know, don't worry about the drivers because that's already handled, right? We, we've got somebody right. who's kind of taking care of it. Even though that person doesn't really have the formal background, they're sort of taking care of it. So the company just says, okay, you focus on the office staff. And then it just sort of grows from there. And the HR people in the office don't really spend a lot of time talking about the drivers or dealing with driver issues. That's. I think that's too bad. I think that HR people could, you know, the HR professionals who are in a trucking company could stand to learn more about about what driving is. And I think I would like to also say that I don't think this is as, as it isn't as bad in Canada as it is in the no. U.S. Because in Canada, there's so many regulations that um, cover driving and non-driving staff. Yeah. So the whole thing about overtime and and when you have to have vacation and what statutory holidays and and all of this stuff there's a lot more federal and and provincial um, guidance on that so we know that there's hr people in canada and we actually have trucking hr which is Mm. you know there's nothing like that in the u.s in the u.s it's a free-for-all well it it feels like a free-for-all to me because every state has different stuff and and there's different concern. And then there's the whole, you know, are we independent contractors or the employees and you can't do this and you can't do that. So th- a lot of this is very U.S. centric. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I would agree that it's different here. It's also better than it used to be. It is moving in the oh, right yeah. direction. It's much better. Absolutely moving in the right direction. But yeah, I, there's I would. There's still a disconnect, yeah. I would say. And I agree with your point that um, there's benefit in the HR people learning more about the driving side. But I also think the HR side has a lot to offer on the driving side as well, because they have a lot of background and employment standards and um, best practices, and they could really help in a lot of those areas. So I would love to see that uh, emerge more. Training. Mm -hmm. I think there's HR training that could happen, that that could happen from the HR function that drivers don't get because they're getting safety training. So the HR stuff tends to get overlooked. I mean, they do it at orientation, but they don't really get 
like um, violence and harassment policies or violence and violence in the workplace training. That is often an HR thing because we hear about the office staff getting it, but not drivers. Yeah, well, that's a that's a really good point. And that's one of the things that we did talk a little bit about on the webinar is that uh, you sort of start by stepping back a little bit and thinking about why HR exists. And that is to help the business manage its human capital and improve the efficiency and make sure that everything is running properly. So HR isn't just about policies and managing benefits and all of that other stuff. It's also about professional development, which is a big way to improve the human capital and improve the efficiency of the workforce. So uh, HR, an HR approach to training is really about professional development. How do we help these people get better, be more efficient, all of that sort of thing. Whereas when it comes through safety, it tends to be more about compliance. It tends to be more about accident prevention and things like that, which is a much smaller uh, set of potential subjects. And so, like you say, they're not getting the workplace violence things, but there's also sort of career development stuff they don't necessarily get. They really just get sort of the required stuff and that's it. There's no career development. It's so minuscule. I mean, there's, I think there, the version of it that I sort of get is that you can become your career path is you can become a driver trainee, trainer or, you know, apply for roles in the office or become a safety professional. Like you sort of work your way mm-hmm. up, but you kind of work your way up that way. But they don't, there's no, or I don't want to say no, because there are some companies that are doing this, but there's very few defined career paths. And I think HR could really help with that to find out, well, what, what is it that people, what are their skills? And what skills do you need for this position or that position? And, you know, if you want to stop, you want to come off the road, what can you do? Well, also just building on that, defining some career path options that aren't coming off the road. That's always been a big gap is that the career path is basically going out of the truck. So now there are options because we can have road trainers with everybody using their camera systems, mm-hmm. uh, they can do coaching, which is one of the things that prompted us to do this integration is the number of fleets that are using that footage to coach drivers. And in order to do that, you got to have an army of driver trainers, which end up being the senior drivers. So there is something in that, but there could be a lot more options uh, for a career path that don't involve leaving the truck or coming off the road. And that's something that HR could definitely help with. There, uh, yeah, so coming, but also I think that, and I know this is probably not going to be popular, but why do we have to think of a driver as having to be there for 30 years? I don't think, Yeah. I don't think necessarily that people think about their careers as being any more than the next few years mm-hmm. as it is. Anyone, not just, not just someone who's a professional driver, but, you know, people who work for us. Uh, in various functions may not want to do it here for the rest of their lives. They may want to go to it or start their own companies. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we worked for a company where there were two or three spinoffs from that, yep. from that company. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's spinoffs from our company at some point, because you develop skills and you want to go and do your own thing. Yeah. And so if you look at it in terms of, okay, so you know, we've got these really young people who may not want to have kids yet and settle down, but, you know, they're good to go for two or three years right now. 
how about we sort of think about that as the lifespan of, you know, if we can get four or five years out of a person, if we can keep them for four or five years and, you know, make them happy, then maybe hmm. that's what we should shoot for. That's Instead of the, you know, let's bring people into the industry so that they can stay here forever. That's not, I don't think that's realistic. Well, and also it's an interesting idea just looking within a company that a lot of time the company is focused on the first year. Oh, if we can keep them for the first year, we're pretty good. You know, we keep them for 12 yeah. months after that. They usually stay for a while. But okay, what's happening for those people after that first year? So you're doing a lot of stuff to keep people around, but how are you developing them? What are you doing to make, make them more efficient, more satisfied, you know, all of those kind of things? What are you doing in subsequent years? And often there's not a lot on that, which that's why we changed that question on the Best Fleets questionnaire this year about training to specifically look at what happens after the first year. And a lot of times it's pretty light. And we, and I think it's really important to actually ask people what they want on an ongoing basis. So a lot of people do reviews annually, but I don't know what they're doing in those reviews. And are they just going over safety score? Like this is for drivers. Are they just going over safety scores? Like, you know, you had this many collisions, you had this many blah, blah, blah. You, you know, you did this much mileage. Are they just reviewing that or are they asking people about what they want to do? So, because that's what we do is we say, okay, what do you want to do in the next six months? Mm -hmm. What is your goal? And when people say, I want to move into, I want to do more of this, then we make it happen where we may not have done that before. So if you're asking someone who's been with your company for about a year, if you don't ask them what they want, they may not, you're losing an opportunity mm -hmm. because if they say, you know what I would really like to do is I'd like to actually drive one of these vehicles, not the, like I would, I want to haul, I want to do some heavy haul and you can then go, okay, that's what you want to do. We can, we can make that happen. Or, you know, you're not going to do, can't do that here, but maybe you could do that. Or I want to be a road trainer. Okay, well, let's start that process. Are you, do you have the skills? What skills do you need to build? And when you have the conversations with people like that, it incents them to stay. Yep. Because they're going to get something, some career development out yeah. of this. You know, here, here's a course you could take, or why don't we do this course or this, you know, why don't you go and job shadow someone else? And Well, they feel like they're active participants in their own future. Mm -hmm. They're not just being told or directed. So I would, I would say that that's probably one of the biggest gaps that trucking companies have is they don't ask what people want. They assume that they're just going to keep them happy. So they're, they're going to continue to do the job and not leave. Yeah. But well, they do ask. That's one of the things that we've seen in the best fleets is that it's become pretty standard to do uh, driver surveys, but that's different from an individual conversation about what do you want to do specifically? And like the driver, the drivers have been so conditioned uh, by things in the industry that their answer to that is going to be, I want more miles because they, they're so conditioned by that mindset of I've got to just run endless miles to make you know, to make, make a buck here. So you got to step back from that and say, okay, well, beyond miles, what would you like to be doing? Do you want to just keep doing the same kind of runs that you're doing now? Or do you want to try something different? Or, 
Well, this goes back to the career path thing, which is what do you want to do? Okay, well, what are the options? Well, the options are you can run this lane or that lane, but you're still just being a basic driver. There doesn't seem to be any real formalized way for somebody to become a senior level or a, yeah, like go through level three, level five, level 10 driver, like there is in other disciplines, you know. Although Nussbaum, Nussbaum Transportation, who's one of the the uh, Hall of Fame best fleets now, they have that. They develop yeah. that. They yeah, have that's their what I think of as well. They're one of the few. Red. They're one of the few in the industry that have actual career paths. I think where they you are get the ones. <laughs> I think yeah. that's it. I don't really know of anybody. But else that's that something that. that I've always found very strange about the industry. Like coming in from the outside, you have somebody with two years experience and somebody with twenty years experience, and, and they, they get both, the same money. They're both called truck driver. Uh, they're both applying for the same job at the same, same money. You would never do that in any other disciplines. No. You know, you would never do that for an instructional designer or a developer or even a sales rep, right? And like a sales rep would start as a, a sales representative, um, on smaller accounts and then they might become an account executive and then they might be a national accounts person. And then they've all got all of these different career paths that they can work through as they progress in their career. And drivers don't have that. Nope. So that's one of the gaps. And, I, and I'm sure this is part of the reason why people leave the industry is like, I got no future. 10 years from now, I'm going to be doing the same thing. I might be hauling different freight for some different carrier, but I'm still going to be called a truck driver and the money is not going to be appreciably different. Well, the money is becoming different, but I think the hassles are also increasing. So, yeah. and it's really not about that. It, people say it's about pay, but it's really not. Well, the job isn't going to be appreciably different. Right? No. You're not going to have more control over things like normally when you have more seniority, you get more independence, you have more ability to dictate what the company does or have a say in how the company is developing. That's interesting because I think one of the career paths that people have gravitated to is becoming a, an owner operator hmm, and buying a truck. That. Yeah. But the problem is that, and I don't know if people are actually trying to be unscrupulous or is just coming off that way, but it is, some people think that, and I don't really know firsthand, so I'm going off what other people say, is that, it, you know, drivers are getting ripped off. Uh, yes. The so there's the predatory, the, the predatory lease purchase thing. But at the same time, if you want to become an owner operator and you work for a company who's offering a lease purchase, it feels safer. It feels yep. like the thing that you'd want to do. Like if you, you know, if somebody in our company wants to buy a computer, they can do, well, it's not the same, but they can do it through our company. Mm-hmm. Now, I think what ends up happening with lease purchases is that there is, the driver probably doesn't really understand what they're signing or agreeing to. Yeah. And the company is not, I think, mature enough to be able to explain what the agreement is. I think a lot of companies want to kind of get rid of their old their old vehicles and and do it through lease purchase plans. I don't think they necessarily want to get rich off off that. No, that's not their main industry. No, I, I wonder how much of that is people not really reading the agreement or and not understanding. Those yeah, agreements are full of legalese, yeah. so yeah, it's easy sure. to not understand what you're getting hooked into, and that is something that I've seen in the past. Definitely in the past year, I noticed a couple of people I interviewed this year talking about how they have success with their lease purchase plans. And a lot of it was we walk through what people did 
what they've been doing and say, okay, look at it for you know, the last six months. Here's what you did over the last six months. If you were in a lease purchase, here's what those numbers would look like and just show you the difference. You know, here's what you would be making, but here's what your truck payments would be. And here's all the other costs that you would be incurring. And if it works, then maybe there's a business opportunity there. Yeah. But often it just doesn't work because they don't understand that uh, requirement of running the business to stay profitable. And also that sometimes when you run the business, it isn't going to go that well. And you're going to be, you have to plan for bad times as well as good times. Yeah. So you have, and you know, if you have someone on staff who can do that business coaching with owner, op- like potential owner operators or get them ready to do that. I mean, that's amazing uh, professional development. Someone likes driving trucks then and they want to become their own company owner then yeah like guiding them to that to that place is i think is an amazing way to to like kind of increase well i don't know not increase capacity but just sort of you know help people develop within the industry yeah show that there's a path forward that there's a future there Mm -hmm. yeah and if you're not and the thing is, if you're not really a um, a business type person, like and you're not and someone who cares about numbers and doesn't want to deal with all of this stuff like that, there's other things. And I think if I was a driver, what I would want to do is the crazy stuff. The crazy stuff. Yeah, the Such crazy as. loads. The, you know putting a wind turbine on a flatbed and oh those things yeah. where you need escorts and you yeah. have to plan it for months in advance yeah, yeah. that's what i would be doing would be i don't fun. think i'd want to run a business unless you know you were around and you could do that part but i would want to be putting <laughs> yeah. putting crazy stuff on the flatbed okay. and strapping it down or those loads that don't even have a flatbed because they've just got the thing hanging out the end and you've got like a a dolly at the back that has all of the back wheels on it <laughs> Yeah, like that's the creative part of it. Yeah. Like, what can I strap down on this flat deck? And then I have a YouTube channel, you know, Jane straps it down. All right. See, I've already got, I've already, you know, created a whole other thing that I can do once I stop this. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we have. We Are have we stopping the, this? No, I think we've made the point that HR would be very valuable. HR is very valuable within the business. And H- yeah, it's not just valuable to the people who are sitting at desks. It's also yes. valuable to the people sitting behind a wheel. Yep, absolutely. So. All right. So let's shift gears again or do another sharp turn and talk about where we're heading soon to the convention. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is uh, mid-March that we're recording this one. The next time we do uh, a podcast, we will be back from the TCA convention. We will have two new overall winners for Best Fleets. Yes, and we will have shown our uh, Hall of Fame on stage. And with their cool trophies. With their very excellent looking trophies. Hopefully no one drops. <laughs> yes. This is, yes, this is the stressor for us. One of those things, you know, the behind the, th- behind the scenes things that we have to worry about and get figured out before everybody gets there. We've got these new trophies and they look awesome in pictures and I'm sure they'll look fantastic sitting in a trophy case, but somebody's got to hold those things on stage and they can't fall over. They can't, it looks like if you tilt it the wrong way, a part of it might 
dislodge or something. And that is not what we want when the photographer is taking the official photos. So we have to get there and see what the situation is mm-hmm. and figure, figure out, out how we're going to get these things on and off stage intact. Yes. So anybody who is a Hall of Famer, don't worry, we'll figure it out. Yes. But we will figure it Marley out. Marley has been worried about the fact that they come apart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, also, and there's pictures. Oh, there, if there aren't pictures now, there will be pictures of those trophies and and how they separate. Yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They well, look al- awesome. Also, uh, we have I think eight or nine of the people appearing on stage have never been up there before, so we've got a lot of first timers. Yeah. May actually even be more because. I'm, I was thinking we have like ten new names on the top twenty. Like half of the top twenty weren't on that list last year some of them have been on the list in the past and are returning but a lot of these uh companies that are returning have got different people attending and even some of the ones that have been there for a while have got different people representing them on stage so i'm thinking about this and there's gonna be a lot of people that are walking on that stage for the first time so we're gonna have uh, a fair bit of coordination that we need to do and to make sure we have everything figured out before the rehearsal, because we also have a shorter rehearsal time this year and three groups that we're putting up on stage instead of the normal two. So it's going to be a busy Monday morning on the 21st. What I think is uh, funny is that I think this is the most you've been concerned about it because you usually just leave it to me. Uh, no, this is... There's a few reasons for it. Uh, I stopped being concerned for the past probably three years or so because it was getting to the point that most of the people there knew the drill. It was pretty consistent. We were in the same venues over and over and the people that were going up on stage, they knew the drill. They'd been up there with you several times. So there was, you know, there might've been four new names or something like that where the people were going up there. So that wasn't that big of a deal. We knew what we were going to do. You know, you're part of it. So this year, there's just a lot more unknowns because of the the new group, because of the Hall of Fame, because uh, we've got a lot of new names up there, uh, because we have a little bit of a shorter rehearsal time. There's just a lot of things that are uh, complicating it a little bit. I'm going to have to give you some jobs because I usually just handle it yeah, by oh, myself. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it'll go off fine. We're going to get together before the rehearsal and figure out all of those loose ends about where people are standing and where they're coming in from and where they walk off to, like all of that kind of stuff. We'll have all of that figured out before the rehearsal. And I'm sure it'll go off smooth the way it always does. Like you'll get up there, you're comfortable up enough on that stage that it runs smoothly. And what's always reassuring to me is that even when something goes a little bit off, like it doesn't fit the script or there's something that wasn't planned, you're comfortable enough on stage that nobody gets nervous about it. Like nobody in the audience is on edge. The audience always gets on edge when the people on stage are on edge, but you turn it into a joke. You just make it part of the show. And so then the audience ends up being in on it and it just becomes a fun experience. Yeah. That is the secret to being on stage yeah. is when you screw up, laugh. Yeah. Cause it's, it, and I mean, if you look at it, people who've been on TV and movies or not movies, but on live TV, mm-hmm. you know, the best stuff is when, Oh, yeah. you know, stuff goes wrong. Yeah, and that just, just makes and good they TV. laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, that reminds me of uh, another webinar I'm doing next week. Man, <laughs> I'm just endlessly doing these things now. I'm doing a webinar with Workhound uh, next week 
Uh, Workhound is hosting a webinar with myself and uh, Phil Wilt from American Central Transport. And I'm not entirely sure what we're talking about. Something about how ACT is a best fleet or something. And I said to them, like, <laughs> don't give me the questions in advance. Just throw them at me live. It makes for way more interesting, uh, interest. It was better TV. It's no- a much better show. If, if, you know, you've got some energy there that is just live. Well, it's funny because I just did a podcast for Garner Trucking and Tim, who is the COO, and Phil Wilt is the CEO. Is he the president or CEO or both? Boss man. Okay. <laughs> That's from The Expanse, which we've just like watched the entire six seasons in... A week and a half. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a bit of a mission. But anyway... Um, he sent me the questions and I think I was like, yeah, okay. And I don't, and basically I didn't let him ask them. He got the, the Jane experience where I'm just going to talk and I'm not going to pay attention to what you're trying to do. But yeah. that's, I mean, generally, you know, I think that a list of questions is great. And it, but they're really like at this point, if anybody's asking us about best fleets, there's really not a lot that we don't already know. Well, yeah. And I find the same thing, like any of these training uh, podcasts or webinars, yeah. like the monthly webinar, I used to rehearse it and I would have it figured out. Okay. This is what I'm doing. I know I'm going to say it. And as you've joked before, I just hit press play and the whole thing comes out in order. Well, I've stopped doing that with these monthly ones. I have a rough idea of what we're going to talk about and a couple of us get together and have a discussion, but there's really next to nothing in the area of driver training, you know, that would be within the realm of a reasonable conversation for us that I'm not going to be able to have a conversation about just, um, on the spot. Yeah. Like I don't need to rehearse talking about what the issues are and the challenges and how to do it and best practices. Same thing with all the best fleet stuff. Like, what are you going to ask that we need to prepare? Unless you want, like, give us the statistics on the number of fleets that did this five years oh ago. Oh, my God, yeah. And then I'd be like, no, oh, it's not relevant. Oh, I would be trying to get them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I knew I wouldn't get them, so that would be my answer. Yeah, but like, I, yeah, not relevant. When people say, you know, what are, you know, what data do you have on this thing about the industry? And it's like, whoa, okay. We have the data, but talking intelligently about it and having the data or something, sometimes two different things. But we're asked to talk intelligently about a whole whack of things for all kinds of different people in trucking. And it's never about training. <laughs> yeah. No, you're going to get to talk about training on, on when you go on Road Dog next time. Yeah, I think it's funny. I'm going on Road Dog. Uh, Is that Monday? No, I am going to be on the Road Dog Trucking Show. Uh, While we're at the convention. No, I'm doing it on Monday, but that's the Best Fleets one. Okay. So we're all just kind of talking about whatever is happening that day. Probably Ukraine and gas prices and stuff like that, or fuel prices. Um, but on Monday, March 21st, which is the same day that we do the 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 awards, I'm going to be talking about dash cam integration. So I'm not really going to, well, that kind of training. Ish ish you know that that side of the business people don't often get me to talk about so it's kind of it's kind of nice mm-hmm. you know the business that is our actual business people are actually interested in hearing about a, outside of everything we do like webinars and podcasts and you know the endless stuff that you're listening to and i guess 
are we even talking about training that much now? I don't think we are. We talked about technology, HR. <laughs> we talked about professional development. That's training. We didn't talk about the ins and outs of building e-learning, which we haven't talked about for a little while. So we can do that on the next episode. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm right now, I've got like four different courses where I'm doing the final QA and it's just taking me forever. Well, so. that actually is a, a good uh, indicator that it is time for us to wrap up for today. I start telling you about my workload? Well, we've uh, covered a couple of actual subjects and gone off on tangents on each of them, at least three tangents on each of them. So I think we've checked all the boxes for a normal podcast episode. Okay. Yeah. So sounds good. You can get back to your work and uh, we'll reconvene after the convention and have a wrap up from there. Yeah. So everybody coming to the convention, safe travels. Yes. Hopefully COVID won't get you. Yes. So you can test positive or you can, t- ooh, you can test negative on both sides of the flight. Yep. All right. That wraps us up for today. So thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day.